This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed, and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer, and I'm here with the fabulous co-host of Careers Unplugged and the Master of Me coaching program, Stewie Hayes. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Rich. How's things? Uh, I've been busy, and um, yes, I guess, I guess uh, you know, getting stuck in, so to speak. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that. I wouldn't want to have it... Uh, in fact, I couldn't even imagine that you'd be doing anything but that anyway. Well, you've got to do physical best efforts, Stu. You do. You do indeed. Tell us all about today's guest. Well, well, it's a great pleasure, actually. Uh, in fact, let me, let me just talk a little bit about him. So our guest today is a father of three kids, but he's spent most of his life dedicated to helping millions and millions of children around the world. That is a lot of kids. It sure is, actually, and there are millions of kids around the world. Now, during his journey, he's worked with World Vision for 11 years, starting out on the front line, including positions such as the country manager or country director in Laos, or Lao, I think it's pronounced, manager of strategic planning and manager of emergency relief in Australia. And since 2001, he has taken the Australian arm of Plan International, the world's most transparent charity, from an $11 million operation to becoming a highly respected and influential development agency with revenue exceeding 50 million bucks. That is big time achievement. Well, I got to say, how would you like to expand your enterprise by a factor of five in a decade, Rich? Well, uh, yes, I would be quite excited about that. At the same time as helping so many people around the world. Mm. He holds a degree or a science degree from ANU, a grad dip in education. He's got an MBA and is a graduate of both the Sir Edward Weary Dunlop Asian Leadership Program as well as the AICD. Ian Wishart, it is my great privilege to welcome you to Careers Unplugged. Happy to be on the program. Ian, that's uh, a phenomenal track record in, in any application, in, any, in anyone's career. How did it start out for you, this focus on charity work? What was the, the beginnings of that? Was that a childhood thing? Every backstory, uh, you've got to blame your parents, don't you, really? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I grew up a uh, normal kind of kid in South Australia, Adelaide, uh, went for the Sturt Football Club, used to watch the telly, you know, every weekend uh, to see if my team was winning. And then uh, my dad had this uh, turning point in his life where he became redundant from the, the company Philips. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he he was a highly trained uh, communications engineer, and he had to look around for a, you know, something different. And uh, the job that came up was uh, working for you know what, what's equivalent to the Telstra of Papua New Guinea. Wow. So at 11 years old, I moved from a normal Australian kid to this small white, you know, kid in. Uh, in a country completely different to Australia and uh, filled with different cultures, different people. It was mind-blowing, to say the least. And that's kind of how I got interested in developing countries. Uh, you know, I started to 
look around what, me. What's and your age what's at this happening. time, just as a matter of interest? I was only 11 years old, so I did my full high school in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was just, it, just a full-on cross-cultural experience. That's amazing. And, and the impact on that at the time, were you happy about that move? Yeah, obviously, in retrospect. Well, it was, like, uh, <laughs> it was like living in a boy's own annual kind of uh, adventure novel. You know, it was, it, you know, Adelaide's exciting, I must say, but uh, living in Port Moresby in those days in the 70s was... The Wild West. Wild West. And uh, everything was Wild West about it. And, uh, you know, weekends we would, we would go hit the jungle walk the Kokoda Trail, um, you know, visit villages, do, you know, incredible things. And it was just like a – so I never really thought about whether I liked this or not. It was just uh, fully exciting at the time. And what, what's happened then? So you, you finished high school in Port Moresby. Uh, then you obviously went, uh, went to Canberra to ANU. What, what yeah, motivated that? Um, well, you know, you finish school there and you, you sort of had to, like, every kid you've got to try and find your direction in life and mm. I wanted to go to uni so but I had no idea what I wanted to study that was the problem <laughs> so I just kind of randomly picked a course uh, that I thought I might be interested in with this vague idea that I'd become a teacher and you know maybe one day I'd go back to help people in a place like Papua New Guinea mm. because you know growing up there you you live in a kind of Queenslander house. Uh, you, you kind of have all these trappings of the expatriate lifestyle. Mm. And down the street are people living in a squatter settlement. And, you know, so you are challenged to think, you know, am I just going to accept that or am I going to try and change that? And so I had this vague idea that I would try and change that at some stage. And that and that sort of led you from, I guess, from ANU uh and listen, you know, reading the bio earlier on, you sort of ended up moving to World Vision. Yeah, well, it was a difficult journey. I think that's the thing for folks to sort of appreciate. In any life journey, uh, the pathway is not often clear. So when I left uni, I started as a teacher. I tried that for a couple of years, and I just, like, this is great, but it's not me. And then uh, I tried the public service for a couple of years, this is this is interesting, but it's not me. And then I tried uh, private consulting in, in a technology field, uh, and that was well paid, but it wasn't me either. And and I had what I think is a quarter life crisis at about twenty seven. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I think I was like ahead of the curve. I think quarter life crises are quite common now, but. Yeah. Uh, well, they're all still at home at 27 now. No, no, 27, you, you were one year early. They're usually 28. I think it's the yeah. fourth cycle of seven, the Saturn return. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I think you've got to get in trust. You've got to get in touch with the kind of the, the dreaming side of your, your being, you know. I started reflecting on what did I really dream of doing, not what's the thing to hand that I might be able to do. And I said, you know, the thing I always dreamed about doing was to go back and help people in developing countries. And so I said, that's it. I'm not doing a single day's work 
until somebody employs me to do that. <laughs> um, so I, I was in London at the time and I was working right. for Texaco Oil, you know, big yeah. oil company, uh, making <laughs> squillions of dollars. Well, they were. I was making perhaps a few squillion dollars. <laughs> and uh, I said, that's it. I'm going back to Australia and I'm going to find someone who will give me a job um, working for people who kind of really need it. So that's what I did. And I... I pestered World Vision um, to sort of give me a job. Uh, tried to get to know everyone I, I could there, and you know what jobs have you got? What could I do? And uh, I was very fortunate. I, I I got a job. So, Ian, just in in that sharing that journey just now, I'm hearing the importance, uh, the underlying importance of your priorities. And, you know, you've had jobs that were paying well or jobs that were intellectually stimulating and so on at some level. But the, this underlying priority that has come from your youth experience in New Guinea uh, sort of overrode those short-term um, niceties, let's say, that a lot of people going into the workforce might, might be allured to. Uh, is that, how has that manifested in your goal setting even through to now? Do you, are you a list writer? Are you someone who says, I really want that and then works backwards for the steps or are you more sort of flow-based? Well, I do think it's really important to discover a purpose or purposes in life. I mean, that, that's what really guided me in the end. Um, and I think a lot of people working through career choices, um, you know, reach that point, whereas it's about purpose and uh, so once I'd got kind of twigged onto that, I always try to centre myself back on a sense of purpose. Um, to be quite frank, when I joined World Vision, uh, I remember walking in the first day and I knew immediately a feeling I had never had in any other job. This is where I'm meant to be. Mm. And so I was not uh, – I wasn't actually very career – aspirational. I just thought, geez, this is a great job. You know, this is so exciting, very interesting. They pay me pittance, you know, peanuts, but I love what I'm doing. And just through the love of the work, people would say, well, we need you to do this now, or we need you to do that now. Uh, maybe the, the, the big change I did make is after six years of um, World Vision, I was, I was absolutely full on in emergency work. So I went to Ethiopia, Somalia, South Sudan, and then I ended up doing the Rwanda crisis. Okay. And it was at that point I said, look, I don't know if I can do two more of these emergencies. I better do a bit of the slower development work because, uh, you know, I think I've seen enough. And so again, it was about what was right for me rather than, you know, just grabbing onto the next thing. So I that's when I went to Laos in Indochina, and uh, that was a slower pace, um, working on long-term development work. So those sort of turning points um, in, in your journey, you say, you know, you wanted to uh, um, step back a bit. With that emergency work, was it a bit dark? Was some you confronting? Uh, it, it's a mixture of a couple of things. One, one is it's... It's work that's absolutely filled with an adrenaline rush. Uh, so the excitement of the danger and the complexity of the situation is, is 
exciting, but it's mm. also a bit of a drug. So you, you keep looking for that next emergency, that next uh, s- sort of situation. Mm. Um, and in Rwanda, I realized I didn't need to see the next situation or another worse situation. You know, that was about as dark as it was going to get. Mm. And uh, I didn't, I felt I'd seen enough of the worst of humanity. Mm. I wanted to concentrate more on the, the positive side. But in, you know, in those situations, you do see so many children who are just like in unbelievable poverty and you just, you're just working your butt off to try and help them. And that, that's also very rewarding. Mm. I mean, this, that's part of the fuel for being committed to making the contribution that you do through working with an organisation like Plan Today. Um, I'm interested just to backpedal slightly. Um, you mentioned something at the time that you walked into um, World Vision for the first time and you said that you felt that you were somewhere that you were meant to be on day one. Um, and I'm just curious, before that, just in that, in that sort of um, when you were committed, you were pestering as many people as you could dig up in a, in a world before LinkedIn, um, you know, in World Vision to get the job, how did you, what was your feeling then? You know, this was a turning point in your life. You know, you're, you're targeting something. Um, you talked about purpose and, and continually going back to center yourself on purpose. How do you do that? What's the feeling part that's, that, that you use as a tool to get it right? You do have to be, you know, connected to your, your history as a person, the things that interest you, the, the things that really um, get your motor running. And you do have to be pretty uh, ruthless in that you're not, you're not looking for second best. I mean, obviously not everyone in their life is in that circumstance where they can, you know, be that committed. You know, sometimes you just got to get out there and get, you know, bread on the table. But for me, I was in a position where I couldn't make those kind of sacrifices. And so every day it was like, you know, can I just make this step forward in that direction? Can I make that one more contact with person? In those days, you had to write letters to people and wait mm. uh, for, yeah. for them to write back. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> slow work. Snail um, mail. <laughs> do, you and, still, uh, do you still do it today? Like, do you still, how do you center yourself back on yourself now in 2014? Yeah, you do because uh, you do think about uh, what, what's the next step for you in your career or even in the place where you're working at the moment. And so you, uh, you have to have – well, I, I try and keep my antennas up and scanning, uh, you know, what are the possibilities uh, because no one wants to get stale or, or get sort of – locked down in what they're doing you want to be um you want to keep growing and learning stuff um so that's what i've always found and i've I've tried to maintain that as a practice in my life but uh yeah it's uh it's challenging ian you've you've got quite a few uh letters after you named there when we look at your various ongoing education do you see that as a critical part of you being able to continue to contribute more? Um, and does that sort of um, expand your circle of influence and circle of concern? Yeah, I had another sort of turning point for me. Uh, you know, I'd been at World Vision 
11 years. Mm. Uh, I'd done all manner of roles and I was then working for the CEO and I, I realised that, hey, I'd like to be a CEO. Um, I reckon I could do something like this. And I, I had to sort of take stock and say, well, you know, what are the right tools to be a CEO? And that's when I I asked if I could um, start studying part-time an MBA. Mm. And uh, it was very part-time. It was like one unit per year. And I knew it was going to take me seven or eight years to finish it. That's patience, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, the point I found was I was on this learning journey and uh, everything I was learning seemed relevant. And um, during that process, uh, you know, I, I picked up this job as CEO of Plan International and uh, I was able to apply, you know, all the things that I was learning. So it was turned out really well. But I... But I think recognising when you're ready for that next step and do you have everything in the tool bag that you, you're you going to need. Mm. Would you say that was a – I mean, if you had to say what was your biggest break in your career, would that have been the time? I mean, not, I mean, you worked hard for it, I guess, but what, what would be the biggest break? I think in terms of senior leadership, that was the biggest break for me. I mean, I'd done project managing roles, team leadership roles. I'd even done – uh, you know, uh, a director role overseas, but, you know, to to sort of snag a CEO job here in Australia, I, I do think that that really was a major step for me and somebody's got to put their faith in you because you've never done that before. And fortunately, um, you know, I found a chair who was, who was willing to back me and that was a fantastic experience. Was that daunting at the time when you, you, I don't know whether you received a letter or a phone call, but you knew you'd landed that role? What rushed through your head? Were you like, oh, goody, I got the role, or was it, oh, 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 I got the role? Were you a little bit daunted by the undertaking, being the first steps into that sort of responsibility? I was daunted. Uh, Plan International is a fantastic international brand, but it had... um struggled in in the 1990s here in Australia, kind of lost its way a little bit. And so it was a turnaround situation. And the chair said to me, you know, look, you're going to have to fix this thing or um, we're going to have to close it because we're, we're not competitive. You know, we can't seem to get the donors that other people do. So um, I knew I was up for something pretty, pretty hard. Mm. And uh, I remember the first... After the first month, I thought, oh, my God, you know, what have I done? <laughs> this is really hard. And, uh, you know, I, I I just had to knuckle down and just, um, you know, really that first nine months to 12 months was just grit your teeth and let's make this happen. Sounds like the incubation period. <laughs> Were you... <laughs> When you're sort of confronted with that feeling of, of uh, oh, you know, I've got a lot to, I've, I've bit off a lot here and I'm really, you know, driven by my purpose, as you put it earlier, did you find help from any, anyone else, like a mentor or anyone else in similar roles or, or just a friend or family or anyone that sort of helped you, guide you in, in that, during that period? 
Yeah, I mean, one thing about being a CEO is you, you've got to have a good relationship with your chair. And my chairperson, uh, Wendy McCarthy, well-known person here in was in Sydney and uh, around Australia, she was magnificent. She had so much experience. She guided me really well and uh, ticked me off if I, I'd, you know, messed up. And uh, <laughs> but she was always there backing me up because we were in it together. And that was that's the first time I think I've really had a, a close mentor, a chair who was you know mentor was really important. And then later on, I did um, take up a kind of formal, uh, somebody formally mentored me, and that was also helpful. But in those first few years, the, the chairwoman was fantastic. Do you find yourself acting as a mentor to some of those under you now as a result of going through that experience and realising its importance? I think as you move further into your career and you do take uh, more enjoyment out of that side of the, the work, you know, just guiding people, um, you know, just listening to the struggles that they're going through and, mm. uh, you know, giving them a few tips here and there. And uh, I've certainly been doing that here at Plan. Uh, we're, we're trying to build uh, really our what I call our middle management level. Mm. So I have direct reports who are executives of departments, but this middle management level, you know, I had lunch today with one of them, uh, just shooting the breeze about, you know, what they're up to, what challenges they face. I think it's really important because every organisation, uh, you're only as good as your people and if you mm. if you don't support them, it's, you, you know, you, you, you're causing problems for yourself. And do you think that, you know, your experience with going through and seeing um, some of the the end results of the help that you're providing, you know, people desperately in need in desperate poverty, um, that has in a turn inspired your leadership style at all? Has there sort of been some correlation to who you are as a person in, in a role as a leader? I think if you're involved in international development and you're you're out there, you're trying to help children from poor countries, you can't get big boots. You know, if you want to talk to children down there in the village, you you can't have a high and mighty view of yourself. You, you've got to be really real. You've got to listen to what their lives are really like and the struggles they have growing up in poverty, the struggle to get an education, you know, just basic things like, you know, some of the girls I meet have to walk a couple of hours to get water every day, plans trying to solve that. Mm. So when you come back to the office, you, you, you can't suddenly adopt a style that's... Um, it doesn't serve you either way anyway. No, does it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't serve you. You know, trying, trying to be big note yourself and, you know, sort of, sort of some CEOs, I think, you know, this, they, they regard themselves as the messiah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't wash in the kind of organisation I, I work in. You've got to be with the people and you've got to be collaborative. So um, 
Well, that's think. one of the, the beautiful things about plan itself for me as an outsider has always been that direct connection to the coalface that even the way that um, funds are donated. And what you're saying here is, is uh, you know, being grounded by having been out there on the front line um, is really, really helpful because you're right. I mean, there are a lot of people in Australia who... Um, who think that being a leader means that you've just got a, a senior office position rather than actually um, being someone that people choose to follow. Mm. Yeah, we, you know, people support plan by sponsoring a child or giving to a project. And we, we try to share with folks that plan is a really child-centred organisation. And they say, what does that mean, Ian? Well, I said, it means that when we go out there and we try and do something for children, we don't just ask adults what needs to be done. We actually go and sit down with the children and ask them what they think. And so this idea of being, you know, child-centred, listening to the children, um, informs the kind of spirit of the, the organisation, the kind of people that we hire and the, the way that we are as an organisation. And um, it has to affect also our our leadership style, you know, uh, we try to practice what we preach, as they say. Well, I was just saying, I was just thinking, actually, you know, that there's a, a great saying that how you do anything is how you do everything. And, you know, to hear you, you talk about that, you know, not having big boots with children and, and going to ask children what they think, um, how important is that generally for you with people? Well, I think listening is such an important skill and I, I you know I have my faults and you know being a CEO you often do a lot of talking and you've got to tell yourself to shut up sometimes <laughs> and just really listen to people and uh, try to elicit what they are struggling with and what they want to do and a wise friend of me mine told me you know uh, as a CEO, never try to have something delegated and done 100% perfectly because it'll just drive you mad. Mm. Live with the fact that it might be done 80% or 90% well. That is – but if you go in there and tell people, you know, all the things that you could have done better, you're not going to win friends and bring about, uh, you know, high performance – I think encouragement is is really important and listening to people is really important and something I try to tell myself every day. Somebody mentioned to me the other day that perfect only exists in two places, in heaven and in the dictionary. And maybe in the, some CEO's mind. Uh, well, <laughs> well, Ian, what's, um, what's your personal number one goal now? You know, you've achieved so much. What's, what's driving you now? I think there's a lot happening in the world at the moment. I went to a wonderful seminar by Jeffrey Sachs, leading economist, who was visiting Melbourne the other day, and we we are facing what I call the the, the sort of limits uh, to the to the planet at the moment. Mm. Whether it's to do with climate change, whether it's to do with population growth, whether it's to do with uh, the struggles of the the billions of people who still live in poverty, uh, we're really at crunch time. So the next 30 years, 
is going to determine the, the world that our children inherit. Mm. And that's really what's got my attention at the moment. Um, I work on one piece of that, which is the poverty of children, but other folks are working on climate change, other folks are working on population and and jobs for young people. And But it's we are at a difficult time at the moment and, you know, I think some people are putting their heads in the sand and I'm trying to make sure that people um, keep looking ahead and, and, and trying to do our best. Well, what would be, uh, just uh, before we run out of time, because we've, got a, we've still got a few minutes to go, you know, you're, you've identified in your purpose um, a contribution to make and now you're, you know, you're, I guess to use your words, your part of it is to, um, to keep, you're focusing on children, but to keep people's attention where it should be. Um, what's the golden nugget you'd give to someone else who was maybe earlier on in their pathway or wanted to make a contribution like you have? Lots of folks come to see me actually about um, how to perhaps transition from a corporate job into the not-for-profit sector because they're looking for something more purposeful in their lives and I give them the encouragement that in my experience I've never looked back and, and doubted that for a moment. I've always felt it was worthwhile. Uh, I may not have achieved the financial rewards uh, of staying in the corporate sector, but after 25 years, I look back and I, I just I just feel so good about you know what I've been up to. And I think that's the key message: is that it is rewarding. It can be rewarding. Find that place that uh, really. It gives you a purpose in life, and it can be wonderful. Ian, I just uh, can't comprehend the places you've been, the uh, the help that you've pro- provided uh, for so many of us. It's uh, something we see on an advertisement on television, and uh, I can only imagine the emotional gratification you've received from seeing those smiling children when you've helped them with clean water or food or education or whatever it is that you've provided to those communities it's um it's inspiring i I, we actually have run out of time so i really want to thank you ian for coming on careers unplugged it's been an absolute pleasure to uh listen to you share your story and um and inspiration about your contribution to those in need Stu, have you got anything you'd like to add uh look i would just like to echo what rich is saying and uh for everyone else um back home if you want to make a contribution to planning and where should people go well the website just plan.org.au is a great place to go thanks so much Ian for all of you at home in the car wherever you are thanks for joining us Uh, we hope the insights provided by Ian help you on your journey and uh, inspire you to contribute in your own very personal way don't forget to visit careersunplugged.com to access more from Ian as well as tips, suggestions and bonuses from all our guests. Leave a comment, tell us your thoughts, ask us questions either of ourselves or our guests and we'll do our darndest to answer them. This has been Stuart Rich on Careers Unplugged. 
Hi, this is Lawrence Tan from the Wellness Guys and Insights Champions Mind. The Wellness Summit is fast approaching and we have some limited spots for a selected group of people. If you are ready to take your body, your mind, and your life to the next level, join us as a VIP at the Wellness Summit. Ask the speaker any questions you want at our meet and greet and a VIP dinner. You get to sit in the first front four rows for an intimate experience and you get to take home the DVDs and MP3 recordings of the entire event. And for VIP Platinum holders, you get also a $500 wellness couch voucher to spend on any upcoming wellness couch event. Hurry, these Golden Planet VIPs are strictly limited. And for more information and to book your tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.